This is the In The Cove podcast. Welcome to the In The Cove podcast. My name's Rob Caldor. And I'm Jackie Barker, founder of In The Cove. Jackie, this is our third episode and we're very excited by how people have been reacting to the In The Cove podcast. It's been tremendous, Rob. People have been stopping me in the street and saying I'm really enjoying the podcast and it really puts a lot of context into um, some of our articles. So it's, it's getting a great review. Now, this is our regular podcast. We have these every third Wednesday of the month. Mm-hmm. And we also have, from time to time, some in-depth episodes. We had our Melbourne Cup one last came up with a win. Uh, well, I certainly did. I had a little flutter and it was um, fun and I, fe- and I could say, I picked the winner of the Melbourne Cup. Now, people can listen to a podcast in various different channels. Uh, most popular are Apple Podcasts. So look on Apple Podcasts, In The Cove, find us, subscribe. And if you really like it, write a review and rate us. That's great. Yes, I'd love to be reviewed and rated. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also on Spotify. So people that listen to the music want a break and want to hear us uh, talk and interview people about In The Cove, then that's a place to do it. And of course, on the website. That's right, Rob. And don't forget that In The Cove is a multi-platform organisation which started in Lane Cove and we are on the website at inthecove.com.au, Facebook, In The Cove, Instagram, In The Cove and, of course, our weekly news blast which comes out every Wednesday at 7.30pm and all you have to do is go over to our website and hit subscribe to our newsletter. Now, Jackie, is a lot going on in Lane Cove of late, and we'll talk about that in our news section, but who are we talking to this week? We've got two really interesting guests, Rob. Our first guest is a man that I would wager most Lane Cove people have seen him. He and his wife, it's all Bennett, and, he, and his wife, Tootie, are Lane Cove colourful identities. Paul is uh, a musician and he is also an artist and you can see him busking from time to time. Recently he's been busking outside Birdwood Cafe and soon in December he will be having a gallery exhibition at Gallery Lane Cove. He's a very interesting guy and I can't wait to chat with him. And who else have we got? Jill Batt who is the CEO of Sydney Community Services. Now not many people in Lane Cove have probably heard of Sydney Community Services. What they do is they are um, look after the elderly and vulnerable in Lane Cove and Hunters Hill, and during COVID, they their services were are and were needed. You'll be amazed at the, the how many services they offer, and they're located in the um, Pottery Green Building, or as I like to call it, the Little Street Car Park. And once you hear about what they do, you will want to be either involved via donation or become a volunteer. Looking forward to this week's podcast. Great. In the Cove, in the know. In the Cove News. Rob, there's a little bit of news about nearly every suburb, so let's quickly whip through it because there is heaps of details on inthecove.com.au. Let's start with Lane Cove North. Get ready for more construction in Lane Cove North. A new development with 37 units opposite Mowbray Public School, which has been approved by the Land and Environment Court and the Lane Cove Council. Uh, and so that will be going up. And also two six-storey new generation boarding houses has also been approved by the Land and Environment Court. Now, at the moment, there is lots of construction happening in Lane Cove North with lots of, of trucks and noise and 
that's creating a little bit of an issue. There is also, in Lane Cove itself, on 28 Longerville Road, or as I would like to call it Epping Road, but it's actually Longerville Road, there's also a, a new generation boarding house which has been, a DA has been put in and the Lane Cove planning panel has just knocked that back, which means they could appeal to the Land and Environment Court. So in Longerville, Kingsford Smith Oval is an incredibly popular sport Sports Oval for soccer and cricket. It is also popular with dog owners who are, can have their dogs off leash when sport or training is not taking place. It's uh, available for dogs and their owners all day, really, because there isn't sport on, and then certain times after three o'clock. The problem is, is that it is also used by council workers uh, quite a bit to prepare the pitch and to mow the lawn, and they have. And council has said there's been some incidents between dog owners and council workers. So to ensure there is more supervision of dogs, council has introduced a trial where the gates are open during the day till three o'clock, and this has created issues because the Lancove Dog Lovers Association has pointed out that although the council's aim might be to increase supervision, it's very hard for people like mothers who've got kids and toddlers and dogs and elderly people to ensure their dogs don't run out the open gates. And so they've been lobbying to ensure that some other procedure is put in place to allow dogs and council workers to coexist. In Greenwich, I'd like to call it Turf Wars. The Bob Campbell Oval is a popular oval used for soccer, cricket and for walking dogs and for walking and other form of recreational activities, playing ball, etc. The surface of the Bob Campbell Oval has always been a bit of an issue, particularly for the Greenwich Sporting Club, because they are losing members because the state of the, of the oval is not really up to scratch with other ovals within the area. Lane Cove Council has put together a proposal for a new synthetic oval to be put in place. The issue with synthetic ovals is that that means that people can't um, walk their dogs on synthetic ovals and it also means there are limited natural grass areas and a lot of people who don't have dogs or who aren't involved in sport aren't necessarily keen on synthetic ovals and so they want it to to maintain it as a green space the campaign is put the green into Greenwich and they want it so that it remains a natural turf. And they're saying, we really want to upgrade the oval because Greenwich Sporting Club needs a good oval. But what can we do to make this oval state-of-the-art turf? And that's where the council says that there's nothing they can do because it doesn't get enough sun and a lot of people are lobbying to just relook at whether it should be synthetic or whether we can make it the best turf oval imaginable. It's a tough one, this turf war. I've seen it happen all over Sydney because uh, having a synthetic pitch works a lot better. There's no cancellations. Everyone can play in the rain no matter what. One of the problems with Sydney with our weather patterns is sometimes it just rains and rains and there's no sport for a while. And when there is, it gets destroyed by cricket, soccer, all those kind of things. So this is a classic situation where, you know, people of the council is going to have to make a balanced decision it's a tough one i noticed during the uh, greenwich art trail there were lots of signs about saving the oval so it's it'll be interesting to see how this plays out yes it will it's 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 a hot issue so they're just some of the things that have been making news in Lang Cove. We have detailed articles on every issue I um, mentioned on inthecove.com.au. Just go to the search bar and put in the issue you want and there'll be articles for you to read. 
out there. If there's something bugging you or something you want reported, simply contact us on info at inthecove.com.au. At the Lane Cove Council November monthly meeting on Monday the 16th of November, the Lane Cove Council resolved to adopt the Bob Campbell Master Plan, which does include provision for a synthetic oval. Prior to the meeting, the public forum was packed with people who still were asking the council to implement a natural turf oval and sporting groups also put their submissions about the benefits for them for a synthetic turf oval. This is the first step and the council will have to undertake a review of environmental factors as part of their next step. In the Cove Sport. Yes, the whistle says that we have a sporting story. Jack, what's happening in the sporting world of Lane Cove? Well, there's always some sport happening in Lane Cove. We're a very sporty suburb. However, the Summer Sevens has kicked off at Blackman Park on Friday nights. And even if you're not a rugby fan or someone who likes to run around, why don't you go down and have a look at what's happening? Because it's a real carnival atmosphere. They've got food, they've got a little area roped off where you can sit and view what's happening. And it's just a real nice party atmosphere. So go down to the Summer Sevens. Summer Sevens is put on by the Lane Cove Junior Rugby Club. And it's not just for juniors, it's for everybody. If you love it, then you can register for next year. So that's the Summer Sevens at Blackman Park on a Friday night. I was hanging out on Blackman Park on the weekend and let me tell you, with my dog at Puppy Trails, it was lovely to be there and there were some half-court basketball competitions where I was surprised how good the standard was as well as the cricket. So look forward to the Sevens rugby. That's a lot of fun. Mm. And uh, at Puppy Tales, you can have a cappuccino for yourself and a puppuccino for your pub. Well, we ordered the woofle, <laughs> which which my 17-year-old Pepper loved the woofle. So. What is a woofle? Um, it looks like a waffle with, I think, maybe bits of lamb in it. In the Cove Business. Jackie, commerce kicks on in Lane Cove. Any new businesses that have been set up recently? Rob, I'm exhausted with keeping up with them. Lane Cove is going through a boom of new businesses. Let's start with the Canopy. There are now three restaurants open, Garçon, Sugar Lane and Peanut Butter Jelly. Masala is opening in the next couple of weeks, but the council has announced the last restaurant cafe to be at the Canopy and it is Sunset Diner. Now, Rob, you may have heard of Sunset Diner because they are very popular in Avalon. And they've got a really big community focus. And as soon as we announced them, they called me straight away and said, we can't wait to be part of the Lane Cove community and work within the Cove on community things. What sort of food is the diner? Is it American diner food? Well, it's all, it's yes, but not so much, you know, the heavy American diner with 78 patties and things like that. No, we're talking fresh um, hamburgers, fries, um, salads, juices and milkshakes that kids will just go crazy for. All right. So the, the, the diner is opening, Sunset Diner. I've been to the one in Avalon, so this should be a good addition to the canopy. Yes, and it's got all these pastely, beautiful colours. Now, that's that's opening in a while, but what we've got at the moment is a new patisserie opened called Laminate. And uh, Laminate is named after the fancy thing you do where you put lots of butter 
into um, pastry mix and it comes out oozing with goodness. And that's why they're called laminate because you get a lamination. And, of course, if you, like me, watch every food show on uh, the Lifestyle Channel, then you'll appreciate that. I look forward to it. It's, it sounds uh, both sugarlicious but also uh, beautiful to look at. Yes, and they are located in the arcade just across from Go Vitaland Cove and at the start of the canopy. Story um, Cafe is still located in its temporary uh, position across from Agraland Cove and they will be relocating to close to the canopy. But we also have a new Nepalese restaurant in Land Cove that is getting rave reviews. I like my Nepalese food. Do you know what a Momo is? No. It's Nepalese food. It's things like, it's like a Nepalese dumpling and it's a great food. It, you know, it's got, feels a bit like Indian, feels a bit like Thai and it's different again. Yes. Well, it, on in the Cove chat, people are raving about it. And it is located in the old Loresto Thai um, restaurant in the Village Shopping Centre. Now, the Village Shopping Centre is located across the road from the old Coles site on Burns Bay Road. And while you're there, you can try out Loresto, uh, the sorry, the Nepalese place. Uh, there's 2J's Premium Burgers and there's also Delhi Hut, which has been there for a long time. And if you're looking for a coffee, there is always Nick at Mibu who loves his coffee machine like his, his best friend. Look, I uh- I love my coffee and I like my food, so I will definitely partake in one or many of those restaurant cafes. And just lastly, um, a little bit of sad news for Japanese lovers. Maruya Japanese Restaurant, which is uh, located in the old Coles building on Burns Bay Road, there is a sign in front of it that says that the landlord has taken possession, which is never a good sign. However, it could reopen if they come to terms. But since the canopy has opened and Coles has moved, there is less foot traffic. So what I want everyone to do in Lang Cove is spread your love around um, and eat at all the different restaurants because a vibrant Lang Cove is a good Lang Cove. Jackie, we have a sponsor for the podcast. It's youlightmeup.com. You, then L-I-G-H-T, meup.com. But tell me, what do they do? YouLightMeUp.com is a local business that specialises in brilliant statement candles and their Christmas range is something that you should go to their website and check out because you can personalise the boxes and you can also personalise the beautiful candles inside with the names of the people you're having for Christmas lunch or as a present. If you're interested, go to YouLightMeUp.com. I think we have a special just for the podcast listeners. For any listeners of our podcast and our website followers, you can go into youlightmeout.com and at the checkout put the code capital ITC and you get free delivery and free gift wrapping. Shh, don't tell anybody. In the Cove special guest. I'd like to welcome Paul Bennett um, to the ITC podcast. Now, Paul and his wife, Tootie, are well-known, colourful local identities, and I bet you that uh, you would know who Paul is because they dress beautifully and have been featured in international publications. So, hi, Paul. How are you? Oh, Jackie. So lovely to see you. And Robert, too. Look, I'm the main one here. (laughs) I'm what's known as second fiddle, but I've heard you've got a fiddle in your band, so that's not a bad thing. (laughs) 
Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I've been playing fiddle since I was uh, about 10. Uh, I think the, the most lovely story about my fiddle playing is that my fiddle was given to me by my grandfather when I was 11 uh, because he, he had a second-hand shop in Brisbane. Uh, and it's a, it's a Roth. I mean, it's a really beautiful violin, not the sort of violin you'd give to an 11-year-old. But uh, what a legacy. I'm sure he didn't realise what a legacy that would be because I'm playing it to this very day. So that's the fiddle I play in uh, Lang Cove. And you play every Thursday outside Birdwood yes, Cafe? Every, yes, every Thursday uh, from about 11 to 12.30. Uh, we just love it. We're a three-piece, uh, I guess you'd call us a crossover folk band uh, with fiddle, uh, double bass and guitar. My friend Ken Graneman is a guitarist, harmonica player, uh, writes the music very often, but we play a lot of covers as well. What's one of you that gets them toe-tapping at, at Burwood? Uh, a lot of local musicians um, as well as, uh, you know, famous overseas musicians. We even play Adele, can you believe? Make You Feel My Love is, is the song that we play. We, so it's, it's quite eclectic, the kind of music, but uh, uh, we seem to be settling into, uh, if you like, a, a very nice... We play some, some rock as well, but it's mostly soft um, folk type music, which I think a lot of the locals are enjoying very much. We get a lot of good feedback from people who have their, their coffee at uh, Birdwood Cafe. It's great that a violin is getting played in a non-classical way. I love a bit of uh, folk violin and blues violin. Kids, I started uh, playing classical music uh, in Brisbane. Uh, interestingly, I had a I had a teacher who was uh, at the time the uh, concert master of the Queensland Symphony, and he was a wonderful, wonderful violinist and not a good teacher. I mean, I think we we have to understand that they don't necessarily go hand in glove, and so I think he was not terribly interested in what I was doing. Um, after years of uh, feeling a bit despondent. By that teaching, I actually went to the Queensland Conservatorium uh, and had a wonderful teacher, Ladislav Jacek, uh, who, who would say to me, Paul, we will play Mozart violin number three. And that was like when I first arrived and I thought, wow, this guy. And it was so exciting for me that he had the faith in me to allow me to, to play such beautiful music. Uh, and as it turned out, I, I, uh, I topped the exams, my sixth grade exams for Queensland, yes. And that was really due, I mean, the point of that saying that is that it's all about the people who can give you the kind of encouragement to, so you can achieve your potential. That's what, that's what life is about, trying to do that for everyone. And uh, as fate would have it, I won a scholarship to study in London. I was already starting to uh, do design work in Brisbane, uh, but I won the scholarship to study in London. So I did a graphic design course in, at the London College of Printing way back when. Um, and then, of course, after that experience, I came back and Brisbane seemed just a little bit provincial. But what happened was that I then tried my luck in Sydney. I came to Sydney 
and uh, I actually this it's an amazing story, but it's the it's a true story. I, I took my portfolio and I walked into uh, the Sydney Opera House and met uh, Mr. Brown there, who said, "Let's see your work." He looked at my work. And he said, yeah, I think your work's great. He said, by the way, our designer is about to leave on maternity leave. Would you like to start Monday? And that's absolutely true what happened. So uh, I, went, I went straight from coming from Brisbane to Sydney and working uh, on Benelong Point doing the, uh, the concourse posters. Incredible thing about about uh, working at Benelong Point is that you only ever looked up if it was the Queen Mary. You know, you didn't sort of <laughs> you got a little blasé because the view was so amazing. Of course, uh, you know, I met my beautiful wife Tootie down here. We'd both just come back from overseas, and uh, I, I went to this. I had a girlfriend down here. I, I went to a big party, and I saw Tootie across the crowded room. I actually looked over and I saw her standing head and shoulders above pretty much everyone there. And she had beautiful long hair, dark hair, all the way down her back. <laughs> and I went up to Titi and I, and I said, I don't know who you are, but I've just got to take you out. She was there with her, her live-in boyfriend who had a chest like a slab of concrete. I mean, he was a bodybuilder so, and a live-in boyfriend with Tootie. Uh, but even so, I mean, she did come out with me. We had the best first date anyone could ever have. Uh, we went to a little Spanish restaurant. It was downstairs, I remember, in George Street. And uh, we danced till the early morning. So we, we, we really hit it off. And a week later, Tootie said to her mother, you know, if mum, if I marry anybody, I'm marrying this guy. And that did happen. Well, you've certainly been Mr. Commitment. How long have you been married now? Well, we've been married 43 years, um, celebrated our 43rd uh, wedding anniversary in, uh, in February, and, uh, but we've been together 44 years. And so you, you're in Sydney, you're, you're eating Spanish at George Street, but how did you get to Lane Cove? We ran a business uh, called the Bennett Creative Group, uh, and we started in... Uh, North Sydney, then we moved to St Leonard's. Uh, kids came along, Ceci came along. Uh, we had one sort of little tiny crib space for one child and, of course, when, when our second daughter, Sonia, uh, came along, we moved. So we moved to Marie Street in Lane Cove uh, and then uh, as the kids got older, we, we then moved to where we are now at Coolaroo Road uh, and we've been there for all these years. So we're, we're, when we arrived, we were the youngsters. Now we're the, we're the oldies. Paul, I would describe you as a complete creative person. Any recommendations for people that are creative? Because you're a musician, you're an artist. H how do you follow your dream? How do you follow your dream? Gosh, that's such a good question. I, th I think what one needs to do is simply be who you are. Um, and that does take courage. It often takes courage. There are all kinds of influences and pressures on people. There are prejudices. Uh, there are uh, ulterior motives, and people can, can say some things to you, but when they actually mean something else. Uh, and to, if you like, somehow uh, navigate through uh, what, are, what are very difficult obstacles very often. To, to that point where you can say, yes, this is who I am and I'm proud of this and I'm just going to be this 
and I don't care what other people think. That's such good advice. Now, what we really want to hear about is that there is an exhibition that is opening at Gallery Lane Cove. And for those who don't know, there is in fact an art gallery in Lane Cove. You'd be surprised, people don't know. And it is across from the Lane Cove Library. And your exhibition is called Cloud Zones. And tell us a little bit about it. I've called it Cloud Zones and it really ties, if you like, my art in with my music because a lot of musicians understand what the zone is. And, I mean, I, I love that interview that uh, that uh, Keith from the Rolling Stones once did and then an interviewer asked him, so tell me, Keith, uh, what do you think about when you play? And Keith said, I don't think, I feel. And, you know, that's really what this, what the essence of my show is about because what I'm trying to do is somehow juxtapose this idea of the musician being in the zone with the idea of actually looking at clouds and just thinking higher thoughts. My whole show is geared towards an understanding of higher consciousness, of getting out of the mundane, if you like, if you like, the minutiae of what life is about. We live, we live a life of minutiae in the sense that we have to work we live in a society where one must make money to survive and so one's focus to a very large degree is on those, if you like, things that are necessary for existence uh, in, a, uh, if you like, uh, an economic environment. However, there's a part of our brain which loves to be free, which would love to be able to think higher thoughts to think about those things that are actually going to make one a better person, if you like. Uh, and that's what my show is about. I don't even call it a show. I'd call it an installation. Well, I've got 40 paintings. On, on top of the 40 paintings, all cloud paintings, I also have a, a cloud sculpture, uh, which I'm hoping to have in the forecourt of the gallery. And there are, I've also painted mannequins. There are freestanding four mannequins uh, painted, so I call them the cloud women, uh, and there's also one wall-mounted cloud sculpture as well. In the centre of my show, I have a space which I'm calling the reflection zone, and I've actually created, if you like, a hexagonal space with chiffon walls that hang down. You walk into this space and you look up and there's a hexagonal painting that's going to be mounted on the ceiling. And it really just says... Look up, make a wish, it's never too late. The show begins on, uh, the opening night is on the 9th of December. It runs two weeks prior to Christmas and then two weeks after Christmas. Uh, so I think I'll have a second launch. <laughs> Perfect opportunity. <laughs> Paul, you look like a man who likes to party, so I can imagine that two launches would be just down your zone. Well, I, I hope you'll come. Oh, I am coming. Can people buy the paintings? Oh, absolutely. They're all for sale. I'm hoping that people will buy the paintings, not because they, they want a pretty picture on their wall, but because they want to, if you like, engage the philosophy behind what I'm trying to do, which is to raise consciousness. What happens in the cove stays in the cove. Jill Batt is the CEO of Sydney Community Services, such an invaluable organisation within the Lane Cove Council area and the Hunters Hill area. Hi, Jill, how are you? Hello, Jackie. Yes, I'm fine. 
the Sydney Community Services has so many different services you offer. We have um, a whole range of support services which are really designed to help people stay at home. So that goes from things like home modifications, building people ramps, putting in um, bathrooms and kitchens that are actually uh, modified for them. Um, we do maintenance. So it, might, it can go from replacing a light bulb, which we do for free, or um, a smoke alarm. We then also have um, nurses who provide community nursing and, if necessary, will go in every day. Um, we give people showers, we do meals on wheels, we do um, linen, which is, uh, I think, one of the most valuable services, which is giving people fresh, clean sheets and bedding and towels every other week. Um, then we also offer podiatry for people who can't get out, uh, medical transport if you need to get somewhere, um, we do respite care for um, people who have maybe got elderly um, parents uh, who, you know, they're looking after but need, you know, a bit of time away from them, you know, and a, a day off. So we, we provide that. We do uh, group services for people with disability. Obviously, servicing the elderly is very important, but you also do for people who have got um, disabilities and disadvantaged people within the community. Um, we do trips as well. We take people out for bus trips. Our aim is to help anybody who's disadvantaged in the community. Um, generally, it's not through our sort of main funded services, but, you know, a lot of people in Lane Cove probably don't realise that they are actually living alongside someone who has got a great front, but maybe is actually doing it quite tough. And uh, we, we do get to know about that and where we can. We try and provide support and aid and, you know, help them out as much as possible. So we get our funds from a range of different organisations. We get some funding for supporting older people from the federal government. We get support for some of our more community services from the state government. And then we get a significant amount of support from Lane Cove Council, Hunters Hill Council and also Ride Council. So there's those three different forms of support. Most of the aged and disability support, though, does come through grants from the federal government. And they have all sorts of strings attached and acquittals and all sorts of things that we have to do and hoops, increasingly more and more hoops. So the way that people now access our services is generally having to go through what they call a gateway. A gateway is either My Age Care, which is online, or you can do it by phone. And then for, in, for people with disability, it's through the NDIS. So how do people access the service? Um, you can either email, and that's support at sydneycs.org, or you could phone us on 9427 6425, or you could just pop in. Um, and also we do have another office at 46 Gladesville Road in Hunters Hill. So generally if you just you know pop in and call us, um, we can then work out exactly what sort of support you need, and it might be face-to-face or it could be on the phone. That's what I thought, because I've, I would personally think that it's best just to contact you first and then you can give them the help. And tell us how they would contact you first. So you're located in the Little Street Car Park building or Pottery Green building. 
if you are having problems or you don't understand what you're supposed to do, come to us and um, we will actually guide you through it. So when COVID-19 hit, you and I had a lot to do with each other. COVID um, basically meant that we had to completely redesign almost everything we did. Uh, we, and that was without a lot of guidance, to be honest with you. So we started... Um, from the big, about the end of January, when it first started to sort of like raise its head, we actually had a staff member who was returning from China. And there wasn't really that much guidance around what do you do. So we then took uh, a decision was that she should stay at home. We would continue to pay her. If she could work at home, then that would be fine. But she's a disability support worker, so there's not a lot of things that she could do. But the board very quickly made that decision that nobody at Sydney Community Services would be stood down. Um, and so that meant that we had a whole load of um, staff who we were able to redeploy. So it might have been things like um, contacting individual people who might have normally come on groups. It might have been um, providing online shopping access for people that don't have online, but we could actually um, get them spots through Coles and Woolworths. It might have been just simply going around and doing the shopping for them. Um, a lot of it was just around um, providing comfort and contact for those people who were on their own. Um, having somebody they knew, i.e. from Sydney Community Services, ring them up and just say, are you actually all right? You know, what is it you need? Um, have you got someone you can talk to? Is someone doing your shopping? Um, then there were other services like Meals on Wheels where we are dependent on volunteers. Uh, and we were a little bit worried because some of our volunteers are actually over 70, so they were kind of at risk. Uh, we were concerned that we wouldn't have enough people to deliver the meals. And in fact, that was an, un, you know, it was fine. The, the volunteers have been utterly brilliant. And we've made them jump through hoops as well. There's all sorts of training we've made them do. They've had to wear masks and whatever. The linen volunteers, um, that's the people that go in and change people's beds. Um, to begin with, we just thought, that's a really that's a, that's a really intimate thing for someone to do because you get to go into somebody's home and into their bedroom. So initially what we did was we made arrangements to just leave clean, clean linen for those people who had a relative who could do, do it for them. And where there wasn't anybody, we actually sent the nurses in. So we have like um, five registered nurses who work at Sydney Community Services and two personal care workers. And we just added the linen service onto what they did because they could go in in full PPE. Um, and that worked brilliantly. Um, and so it's been things like that. It's just changing the way we did things. And because I was um, being inundated with people in Lane Cove because there's such a volunteering spirit, asking how could they help the vulnerable and the elderly. So you and I decided that the best thing was to introduce them to you because it was so much better for elderly or um, vulnerable people to have a volunteer organisation that had a, a brand name and people trust rather than just a very, very nice volunteer knocking at the door because that can be a little bit um, distressful. And we worked together to do food drives, get volunteers, and we also worked on getting um, some supplies for Delvina Women's Refuge. 
And can you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with Delvina because it is great. So actually Delvina, um, we've had a relationship with Delvina almost since I started. I've been actually in Lane Cove now nearly six years. I know. Um, but right at the beginning, I, uh, I don't know how it was, but I, I started talking to the coordinator at Delvina. And one of the first things was that she said that um, it was a real problem for them getting things. Um, people wanted to donate things, but they obviously don't want to give away the address because it's a really sensitive thing. Um, so I said, well, people can just donate and drop them off at us. So that's actually been what's happened ever since. So whenever anybody wants to donate or we ask for things like, you know, occasionally we've asked for televisions or whatever, um, they just donate them to us. At Christmas, we get inundated by um, toys and presents for children. Um, and the other thing we've been doing um, since COVID as well, because actually, I don't know, people probably don't realise, but Dalvina has been full, mm. absolutely full. Well, I know that one of the negative repercussions of COVID, one of the many negative ones, has been an uh, increase in domestic violence. That's, that's absolutely right. And in fact, um, the Delvina is run by an organisation called Manly Warringah Women's yeah. Resource. And I know that they've had to open another house mm. because of the demand. And, uh, and we were actually asked for, you know, nappies for newborns, which... That kind of upset me a lot mm. um, to think about that. But um, so we were able to get uh, all sorts of um, donations for Delvina, specifically for babies and for the mothers. But one of the other things um, we were able to do was we were able to channel some of the, you know, amazingly do um, generously donated food goods, you know tins of you know, tuna, tomatoes, pasta, you name it, we got it donated. Oh, heaps of toilet rolls. Right at the beginning, we were overwhelmed by toilet rolls. Um, but we were able to then, uh, you know, let Delvina, essentially the coordinator, just came in and we just said, take whatever you want. Mm. And the other thing we got was we had a very generous donation from Harris Farms. Yeah. And um, they were sending... Um, boxes of fruit and vegetables um, through the Hunters Hill office um, where there is a there has always been a food bank which is you know interesting um, uh, but there, a lot of the food the, the fruit and veg then came to us and so we were able to twice a week give Delvina a huge box of fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, and because it was from Harris Farms, it was very good. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think we're a sort of like a, a sleeping partner with Delvina, I would say. Every year, we help um, publicise in the Cove helps promote the Sydney Community Services Food Drive, and there's always a very festive shopping cart put in the bottom of Woolworths. Is that on again this year? And what do we do? So, yes, this year we're, we're going to partner with Woolworths. We'll put the cart at the bottom and it will be covered in tinsel. And last year I think we were emptying it about every other day and people were so generous. And um, that was just brilliant because we do hampers for some of our clients and for some of the more disadvantaged people in Lane Cove. And we were able to, you know add that to to the hampers and it meant that people got lots of nice things like chocolates and special stuff 
Jill, one of the major ways that you raise funds is through one of Lancove's much-loved institutions, the Village Observer. Now, the Village Observer had to take a break during COVID, as lots of publications did. It's back, bigger, brighter and better, and also I've noticed it's available throughout Lancove. Can you just quickly tell us a little bit about, about the TVO and um, where people can get it? Yes, so Village Observer is, um, is actually owned by us through our foundation, um, and we used to distribute it um, door-to-door, um, but really that was quite an expensive thing to do. And when we closed down, one of the things we had to do was look at the costs because advertisers, retail hasn't been doing too well, so it's been quite difficult to be able to marry up the costs with the production and also um, with the... You know, the quality issue, the standard that we really expect. So we have now gone to drop-off points and there are 43 drop-off points throughout Lane Cove and Greenwich and over at Hunters Hill. The main parts um, to, to pick it up are really going to be at outside Coles and Aldi and at Woolworths. They're the main bins, but you can find them all over the place, at the sh- at the swimming um, pool, at the council. A lot of the coffee shops have taken it, news agents, the pharmacies. Um, if you can't find one or you want to know where your nearest point is, um, give us a ring on 94276425 and we'll tell you, or we can um, you know, think about how we can get one to you. In the Cove podcast, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Well, that's a wrap for podcast number three, Rob. You know, we're getting some great guests in. Paul Bennett was an absolute corker. We also had Jill from Sydney Community Services. And, you know, there's some great stuff going on in Lane Cove. It's heating up. Summer's happening. I'm looking forward to hearing some music and going down to the canopy and eating myself silly. We'd like to thank Rain and Horn for giving us access to their boardroom and making it a great place for us to record this podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the podcast. Rob, I'm really enjoying recording the podcast and I hope everyone's enjoying listening it because it's just so much fun to do and to bring to life the people who I write about on the page, to bring them to life of the podcast. I'm really enjoying that. If you have somebody that you think would be great on the podcast, please contact us, info at inthecove.com.au. Facebook pages, Instagram, you can contact Jackie in a hundred different ways. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate us with five stars, that really helps out. And if you want to even write a review, that would be grand. And also, if anyone would like to sponsor the podcast, they can just give me a little a buzz or drop me a line at info at inthecove.com.au because as everybody knows, In the Cove is fully funded by local advertising. Can you hear those Christmas bells? Christmas is coming. See you next time. This podcast has been produced by localpodcast.com.au. If your organisation needs a podcast, contact Rob 0404289956.